Hello, everyone, and welcome to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. We have some weird robot noise going on in the background. We'll ignore that, and we'll also ignore the drilling that's going on in my road. That's the fourth lot of drilling they've done this year. The water board, they really need to sort their life out. But anyway, let's move on. This is Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson, and sitting across the Balkan Sea, across the English Channel, across the North Sea, is the resplendent Tommy Danqua. How are you, sir? I'm great. You know what? I always say this, but that was your best intro today. You sounded like a proper Victor Meldrew. Did I? Yeah. Well, well, you, they're drilling outside my house. It's a full time this year. Well, you know what, right? You know what? I, right, and I hate to admit this, but I'm going to admit, admit this to you and I'm going to admit this to the listeners. I turned 50 last month. Oh, happy birthday, old boy. So I've got every right to be a moany old codger. And that's what I'm going to be. Yep. You hit 50. You're just like, right, well, I've earned it. Yeah, I'm I'm officially out of date. You know, I'm officially, I'm going to, I'm going to be retweeting Piers Morgan um, every day. And um, <laughs> I have, have you subscribed to Reader's Digest yet? Reader's Di- Digest? Um, no, not yet. But that's it. You've reminded me. Thank you for that. I'll, I'll do that. I will do that. But anyway, um, it's been a while since we did our last podcast. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, how have you been? But I think really we should do another podcast where we're catching up on everything, really. Has to be done, doesn't it? Has to be done because we were we were all good to go. We were flying high on the wings of the Frank Bruno interview, weren't we? And then um, everything just went absolutely haywire. I selfishly uh, had another kid, and um, yeah, you did. and and I just sort of like forgot about you. I was like, I'm I'm too busy, mate. You disappeared and walked around the world. So uh, yeah, it's but we definitely we need to do a catch up, don't we? We definitely need to catch up. Yeah, big start. I mean, I think we were a little bit sort of premature when we said, ah, um, oh, the start of season three, you know, season three, woohoo, season three. And like we did two podcasts and then it was complete silence. Um, but if nothing we, else, Andy, we're ambitious. Yes, yes. Yeah. But we are back. We are back, which is the main the main thing. Um, yeah. So tell me, um, how have you been? So this is a mental health podcast. So you are uh, the dad of a third child. You are sleep deprived. Yeah. Um, how have you been sort of, uh, how's, how's the, the old ticker? No, no, ticker, that's a heart, isn't it? Sorry. How's the old um, grey matter holding up? Do you know what? Actually, surprisingly well, it's a lot different. Like, you know, I always say this is a lot different out here. And that's, again, one of the massive reasons why I did leave the UK. Um, I don't have that. Um, I didn't have to rush back into work to, you know, get, you know, start earning money again. I didn't have to leave my family behind. The pressure is completely different. So it's, it's really, really a completely different experience from like the first two kids. And just having that time to connect with my daughter has been amazing. I still can't believe I've got a daughter, mate. Like, there's a baby in my house. I sometimes just forget. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. took off to the kitchen, like doing my business, and I hear a baby come. Like, what the fuck is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. it's bizarre. But I've got, a, I've got a daughter. It's mad. Oh, congratulations, man! Well, congratulations, thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All is good, but we will definitely, I'll go into much more detail about it. I'm good. I have felt quite anxious about getting back on the horse and doing this podcast. I was quite anxious today. So, and especially because we've got a guest as well, haven't we? We we do. We do. But probably what would um, lessen the anxiety is is not bringing a horse along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get back on the horse. So. Oh, my God. Oh, that's that's a joke of a fifty-year-old. Oh, shut your face! Oh no, this is going to be a long-running thing now, isn't it? Um, listen, I'm I'm going to and before we do int- introduce our amazing guest um, for this week, um, I do like to because uh, you know you know me, I do like to have a little bit of a a read uh, about things, you know, this, that, and the other uh, things about mental health and that. 
So I'm going to share with the listeners a little nugget, um, if that's all right. Uh, obviously it is because I got silence from you. Um, hello? Is, I was just going to say something inappropriate then, but then, you know, I, I composed myself. And <laughs> I'm not making jokes about nuggets. <laughs> Let, let's hear it andy let's hear it. Uh, i know where you were gonna go there you're a terrible oh, filthy terrible man um so so i'm reading an amazing book right which i think's actually life-changing um it's called how not to die by michael gregor mm-hmm. now he is massive he's like all over the internet um he's got a great website called nutritionfacts.org um he's also um you know so the main thing you get from this how not to die book is um that us being vegans are are 100 on the right track um and if you uh basically the, the upshot of it all is if you eat shit you'll feel like shit basically so there is a chapter on there because he talks about how not to die um, from kidney disease, how not to die from high blood pressure, how not to die from infections, digestive, blah, 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 heart disease. There's actually one chapter called how not to die from suicidal depression. Okay. Um, now, so, you know, a lot of these, you know, me having suffered from um, anxiety and panic attacks, um, people give uh drugs to boost serotonin which they say is a, a real thing um for um sort of calming people down and you know we talk about serotonin being produced in the gut etc but um rather than taking these serotonin boosting drugs he's saying that you could sort of eat your way into boosting your your brain um and particularly i'll give you a couple of the foods um to eat um greens basically greens mm-hmm. yeah um saying that there is uh it's um it in there um there is uh dopamine and serotonin boosters and enzymes in the food so uh when we're talking about greens we're not talking about just greens we're talking about like spinach and um you know uh salad leaves and watercress and broccoli and all that sort of thing um also nuts seeds and nuts um uh almonds are very good for boosting serotonin apparently so get yourself a few handfuls of uh almonds um saffron is very good but that is the most expensive uh spice in the world but um it should make you feel good shouldn't it should make well if you can afford that you're probably feeling quite good about your life anyway um and um do you, um, do you know what i'm just going to leave that there um so well, on you your know, next you go I, I like that you had me uh you can eat your way to happiness yeah lost me when you didn't mention pizza burgers or curries oh okay sorry so, about that yeah sorry about that anyway <laughs> Anyway, it is Monday. Um, we have kept our guest waiting for far too long. Um, he's, I'm sure he's got better things to do than have a listen to us wittering away about all sorts <laughs> of random stuff. So should we get him on? Let's do this. I'm very excited for this one. Yeah. So our guest, Ayo Akinwaleri, is a uh, presenter. He's, he's been presenting for about well for de- for almost decades now well actually that makes him sound really old but he's not actually that old he's presented blue peeper blue pizza for five years um i'm not very good at these introductions by the way i always balls them up but i'm going to carry on um, uh he's he's done a lot of sports coverage for the bbc and the cbs um he's he's um hosted his own bbc3 show He's been BAFTA nominated uh, three times. Uh, he's also a swimming world record holder. He's an ambassador for Crisis UK. He's a creator of the Swim Challenge, which um, aims to get more people swimming and create a more diverse um, swimming world. Um, he's recently just come back from uh, presenting um, the Commonwealth Games. Uh, he presented at the uh, Winter Olympics earlier this year, etc., etc. I mean, this whole podcast could be his biography. So. Um, a busy man. Um, how are you doing, sir? 
<laughs> I'm, I'm really good. I was actually just enjoying you guys catching up. Uh, I almost didn't want to come on because I'm like, this is a really lovely little conversation. It's lovely. It's good to see you guys or hear you guys catching up after so long. Oh, mate. Aww. Welcome to the show. Thank Welcome. you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Do you know, I've just realized, though, we need to stop having awesome guests because you were reeling that off. And I'm like, he's done a lot of cool stuff. And uh, <laughs> this morning, I've done the school run and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, look, look. one day man I, I'm, I'm with that I'm, I'm with that kids at the moment so you know I, i'm just holding on to this life until it actually has to be real so i'll i'll, I'll do all that uh crazy stuff for you guys with you guys in mind we're, we're living vicariously through you exactly man. i'm living vicariously through you you're living a life of responsibility i still think i'm 15 here man so don't you worry well, I'm I'm 50 and childless, and also I don't have a girlfriend either. So, um, what does that say? I'm I'm basically. If you look at Tommy, you've got the sort of what you need to aim for. Look at me, and um, you know, try and avoid um, <laughs> where, where I am. <laughs> I don't know, but each time I keep I keep learning as I get older. Um, I just learned that everyone's got their own different pace. Everyone's got their own yes. different mode, and like you know, I'm I'm nearing 40 now and there are all these thoughts about what i should be doing where i should be at this age and all that kind of jazz and i just realized that just brings up a whole heap of anxiety from my side and actually i've got to be grateful for i've already come and you've reeled off a lot of things there and i'll be i'll be honest i've got to pat myself on the back for that and even though i don't i don't have children i've only just recently got a girlfriend um you know I'm, i'm very grateful for all the stuff that i've done and actually um it's because I haven't had any of those things. I've also been able to do all the yeah. stuff that I've done as well. So it's it depends on which way you're looking at it, really. It's it's really important to to, to try and sort of you know be kind to yourself because uh, if you can't even be kind to yourself, then um, you know no one else is going to do it for you. Um, Spot on. And um, and and you know I I'm I'm very proud of the achievements I've done in my life as well. Mm. So um, so. Good for us, eh? Yeah, Let's be proud a... for yourself. Be proud. Be proud always. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, so, 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 what is the the, the sort of what do you think of that? I mean, just starting just from that, really. What what is mm. the sort of drive you you think? You know, what, you're so busy and you've done so much. What mm-hmm. what what do you think's been the driver in your life? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I've always liked the idea of being a first. Um, when I joined Blue Peter, um, I was the first ever black guy to host a show in 50 years. So it was one of those moments where actually I didn't really watch the show much growing up because I grew up in Birmingham. So um, we didn't really watch it. I grew up in a really poor part of Birmingham. Um, mm. And it wasn't what we were talking about in the school playground. And then, you know, moving to London um, for six weeks as a as a runner and then, you know, that stretched to two months and then someone offering me the opportunity to audition for this show is a real turning point because I really thought, you know what? I never really watched this. I'm not sure I even get it, but what I'm interested in is that I've never seen anyone like me do the crazy stuff. A lot of these presenters have done. So, you know, from Lean on Blue Peter, skydiving license. Um, you mentioned it earlier, like swimming world record. Um, I just never saw black people do that on, on British TV. I always saw them do it on American TV, but I never really saw it on British TV. So for me, that's been a massive driver for a lot of the stuff that I've done. And, you know, I've gone on to do, you know, rugby coverage for Channel 4, and I can't think of another black guy that's ever hosted the rugby, really, not as a pundit, but, you know, as a, as a TV host. And it's a spot I didn't know much about. And then, obviously, the Winter Olympics and now the Commonwealth Games. So for me, there's some about being a first but also something about trying to show people that like you know you can do it you know you just need a plan you just need a some sort of self-confidence in yourself um and you know it's it's there for the taking you know we 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 can all permeate these crazy rooms that we don't we we probably thought were beyond our reach when we were much younger but it also takes a lot of personal work um to try and get there seems crazy doesn't it that it was only not that long ago um that you were um you know the first black presenter of uh blue peter and um mm. yeah it wasn't that long ago and um yeah we have we do seem to have come quite a long way but we've also made a few steps backwards <laughs> backwards yeah. as well haven't we? no you're spot on i, I mean i was i've I got to point out i was the first black man to host blue peter Diane louise jordan was the first black oh, woman course, yes. to host it um, and you know 
even if you look at the the history of the show, there haven't been many brown people that have hosted the show, period, in over 60-odd years of the show. So, you know, yeah. it, it makes a massive um it really puts stuff into perspective, really, um, as to where we are and where we still need to go. I mean, yeah. it, we have made strides, it looks like, through film and um, television and, and, and certain other spaces. But I still think, you know, the people making the programs are still off the same ilk, really. And the people still making those decisions are still off the same ilk. And I think, actually, sometimes that's where the, the real change comes, because that that's what drives the stories. That's what drives the authenticity on screen. That's what drives um, the culture um, within the industry, really. Um, and still a long way to go, but definitely feels like there are more spaces for people that look like me or um, people who might be an ethnic minority or uh, people with disabilities uh, to, mm. to have a space in this media landscape still a massive massive way to go but strides are being made and we're just chipping away that's the way i look at it we're just chipping away mm-hmm. that's amazing that's amazing and i love the fact like you said you know being the first you've you've raised issues of diversity in sports and issues around homelessness as well with your work you do with crisis mm-hmm. now you've also got a keen interest in men's mental health so yeah where's that interest come from what, what is that about Oh, I say interest. I, I think sometimes um, the, the interest finds you when you do break down, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, we talk about all these incredible things that I've done. Um, but, you know, the, the, the landscape of the media industry is, is, is a tricky one. It takes a lot of self-confidence and uh, you, you need your support bases. Um, and and that, that foundation is really key. And I remember when I left Blue Peter at 28, I, um, I just broke down. Um, for so many reasons. Um, I think I had a mental breakdown. And now I look back at it, it was a mental breakdown because for, for five years, you know, my, ident- my identity was kind of dictated by this incredible show, right? Um, and, and its identity. And I started sort of coming to terms in, with so many things about myself um, as I grow up, grew older. Um, my heritage as a black man grew up in Nigeria, um, lived in working class uh, Birmingham. Um, and all of those kind of issues and things that I'd had buried for for a long time sort of started coming to the surface because I didn't have the distraction of work. I mean, put it into perspective, my first year on Blue Peter, I think I calculated it. I was probably at home. I calculated it for a total of maybe two months when I put all the days together. And that can also be a massive distraction from a lot of the issues and anxieties that you sort of had coming into it. And then you're, you're, you're dealt with the responsibility of, you know, doing a show like this um, with its gravitas. And, you know, you're still trying to navigate this really middle-class space as a, as a black working class man. It, it, it took its toll. And, you know, if I'm honest, when I left that show, I, I sort of didn't recognize myself. I was like, what, what's happened to your accent, man? Like, you know, who are you? Um, who are you? That's a big question, isn't it? Who are you was the big question that I just had on my shoulders. I felt I'd sort of strayed away from a lot of my ideals and a lot of my values um, because I got caught up in TV land um, and I had a massive breakdown and I, I sought help, really, um, deep help. Um, but it was even crazy because I remember <laughs> talking to my first therapist at that time and um, he was uh, he was an Afghanistani Jewish guy. So I thought, okay, from a, from an immigrant's perspective, um, this might be a really good, uh, a really good point um, of therapy because we can have similar conversations about dynamics of uh, ethnicity and also belonging and things that I really struggled with in many respects, especially growing up in a predominantly white environment. And, uh, this guy actually convinced me that racism didn't exist in society and it just played on my mind. And I was just like, what, what, what is this? Um, and especially when you're in that vulnerable position, um, it, it was really, really tricky period. And then, you know, having found the confidence to seek other help, I realize even when you do seek help that, um, it's important to find someone who's, who's aligned with your values, who's aligned with your journey and, and, and so many of those things, not just seeking the therapy, but also someone who's open to um, listening to, 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 to your journey uh, without bias as well. So, I mean, the, the mental health thing has been massive and it's definitely something um, I've taken on board as I've, I've carried on um, into more high profile things, you know, doing things like the Winter Olympics or, or the Commonwealth Games is so much more public and you know, you're so much more open to scrutiny and you just yeah. need those foundations to help you out because I don't want to go back to where I was, but I realize it was important to have that breakdown to sort of realign what my values are and who I want to be moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. You said you mentioned your, 
you know, because you moved over um, from Nigeria when you you were eight years old yeah. and then you went to Birmingham. Mm. Um, and you said after you came out of Blue Peter, you had a bit of an identity crisis. Um, mm. Do you think so? So that that must stem back to your being sort of uprooted at such a young age and, and coming over to England. I mean, was is was your family a sort of um, culture where you could talk about any issues, or or is it yeah. was it sort of brush under the carpet? Sort of really thing? good question. Really good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from a very strong Nigerian family. Grew up there, and you know extended family of you know high achievers really um but also the identity crisis hit massively when we went from a a, a middle-class nigerian family to a working-class british family almost like my, my, my family had to start again really um both my parents like in nigeria uh, went to boarding school um i guess a typical british upper middle class um kind of life um and we came to England and yeah, like we, we, we weren't in the same kind of circumstances as we were because my dad couldn't find work and my mom could find work as a nurse. Um, but it was just such a cultural shock, if I'm honest with you. And yeah, like, you know, a family of immigrants, you know, like work, 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 get it done. You know, no time sometimes to, to listen to the children, um, no time uh, to even think about slowing down. Um, my parents were always busy. My parents were always moving um they're always doing um and you know in, in many respects they had to survive and with that survival and bringing up five children in you know in on a council estate in birmingham you know you haven't got time for for fun times you haven't got time sometimes just to relax and just be um and a lot of those things caught up but also i, I guess the resilience i'd built up was a different kind of resilience it was a resilience of fight um as opposed to a, a resilience which meant sort of standing back and looking at what i'm doing and what i'm achieving and and patting myself on on the back for it but you know like i look back at so many things um you know it was all about prosperity not really praising and all those kind of things it was about high achievement and those kind of environments from a family perspective can be quite 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 dangerous and you know i think the breakdown in, in essence was that i'd been trying to achieve i'd been trying to do a lot uh, but i'd forgotten myself in that process and uh, yeah it really you know came to light when i broke down because i was like the one person i've neglected is me um and that's learned behavior because the one thing my parents had neglected was themselves um but also they sort of had no um i guess they had no option um that were thrust to this country had to make it work had to put kids through school and um i'm hoping now um even though they're struggling with it uh <laughs> that self you know what's the word i'm looking for that self-love is definitely something my parents um, still struggle with, and it's something I've learned more and more over time. Do you know what? That's it's really amazing to hear you say that because I think a lot of people are going to actually be able to relate to that. Learned behaviors. Uh, my father, he worked every hour God sent. You know, he mm. didn't look after himself, and <clears throat> I said, nag at him, shout at him, you know, Dad, look, you got to take care of yourself. You're getting older mm. now, and I had kids and I found myself doing exactly the same thing, working so hard, thinking that that's what men do. You know, mm -hmm. have to work hard, have to make the money, have to be that provider. And ultimately had that same burnout. It was, you know, absolutely like a complete burnout. Really crazy. Massive. But but my, my thing is, it, it, it's, you know, I'm in a relationship now and it, it's, it's even funnier how a lot of those things come out in your relationship, you know, driving things, trying to drive things <laughs> instead of just letting it be and just standing back and just being like, well, that's who they are. I, I realized like, you know, my parents are, I didn't, didn't think of it at the time, but quite controlling in what we did and all that kind of stuff. Because look, we were in a foreign country. Um, they didn't know <laughs> uh, who our neighbors were. They didn't know whether it was safe. Um, it's very yeah. different to the um, to the, the comfort zones we had in Nigeria and the, and the people they had around them. Firstly, most of those people looked like them. Um, most of those people spoke their language. Most of those people grew up with them. We're now in a country where, um, you know, when my parents were lucky enough to, to, to buy their first house, they saved all their pennies. The National Front spray painted our front door. So my parents, you know, were always on guard, you know, um, and always trying to drive us to, to be prosperous constantly and mm. you know now being in a relationship I'm, I'm sort of doing the same thing to, to, to my girlfriend driving her instead of just you know 
letting her be, you know, she'll get to it at that time. I always remember something and you, you learned behavior as well. And my dad always was also like something always stayed in my head. He was always saying, um, you know, you can relax, but you can't be idle. And I thought, what does that mean? I remember I'd just be watching TV, which is funny enough, the industry ended up going into and it'd be like, you're wasting your time, boy, come on, go, go, go do some proper work, you know? And I've always yeah. had this thing that, you know, even the wonderful experiences that I've had in my life, I still don't see it as proper work. I still see it like I'm wasting my time at one day I'm going to have a job or I'm striving for something mm -hmm. bigger and, you know, something mm -hmm. more substantial. Whereas actually just being in it, um, makes me realize that actually I've built up something quite interesting and this is a, a really good space to be in for me. And it's actually an authentic space for me to be in as well. And, you know, sometimes I take that out of my girlfriend and, you know, she's a fashion designer and an artist. And I'm like, well, you know, when are you going to get that job? When are you going to get that big one? But this is just who she is. So yeah, that learned behavior is so solid. And, and sometimes you just have to, you know, slap ourselves in the face a little bit and just be like, look, come on. Um, you don't want to repeat those mistakes your parents made. Um, actually, uh, the fact that we are born and the fact we are, have looked within ourselves um, or trying to means that we can change that pattern because I don't want to give that to my kids as well when I do have them. Mm. Absolutely. Do you know what, uh, Andy, you remember this. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, we had a gentleman called Anthony Davis um, mm. and he spoke a lot about the BAME community and what that you know how a lot of us screw up and the pressures that we were put you know were put on us to be better to achieve more great hmm. cycle of poverty and you know a lot of the things that you just said it really has just rung home it's sort of like it was like oh god could be talking to myself do you think that as you know a black man or as the black community we are going to suffer more because of these like learned behaviors in the way our parents were, you know, through right or wrong, I believe they were doing the best they thought they could or the best they knew how. But do you think that this is why there's a lot of problems in the main community for us? That's a really good question. I think, I think yes, to a certain degree. I think we still, as a community, have a normalized uh, vulnerability. Um, it's it's a it's a real big one. And I was, you know, it's funny you say this. I, I was I was uh, I was I was at Notting Hill Carnival this uh, weekend. Just gone. I love Carnival. It's a real real uh, celebration of. Um, you know, Caribbean culture and, and West Africa culture. Now it's just a massive clash of, of brilliance and joy. But I just kept looking around and, you know, uh, uh, many people of our community. And I just thought, we're always fronting. Like this, this is fronting yeah. thing we love to do. We're always fronting. And it, it's all, always about keeping guard publicly. And we don't allow those vulnerabilities to shine through. And I see in many... Um, black and black relationships as well like the dynamics it's a fight there's so much fighting internal fighting that 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 i, I feel we as a community still still go through um and it's something i actually talked to my um my life coach about at this moment in time is that i just don't want to have to feel like i'm fighting anymore <laughs> like you know mm. i just want to be and i don't know if you understand what i'm saying i just mm. i just don't want to have to get up in the morning and feel like i'm trying to fight someone internally or externally and it's not that i've yeah. taken it out on anyone but i just feel like i just want to take this backpack of uh of energy of having to fight for something continuously and it's something that's always been within me and i just want to take it off and just be um yeah. unfortunately like i guess we're hit in the face by our various societies that we do have to fight to a certain degree. But I think some of that is still learnt behaviour as well. And um, I think you were right. I think you're touching on something which is quite interesting there in terms of not being able to show vulnerability publicly as a, as, as, as a community. And, you know, I, I can talk about the Nigerian community. And, I, I, you know, I'm not Caribbean in any way, shape or form, but I can talk about Nigerian West African communities yeah. and there's a real boldness there especially from from men and actually women as well to be honest um and, and and not showing vulnerability publicly and it always is about keeping face and 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 keeping stun and 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 within that you know so many crazy things do happen in the background and we don't speak up about it and you know uh, i've spoken to so many people about you know, abuse. I've spoken to so many people about traumas and, and, and things like that that just haven't hit the surface. Um, and it's because it's about showing face again. And I think we see it within so many communities, uh, um, Indian community, uh, South Asian community, um, East mm. Asian community as well. My, my girlfriend's Chinese. Um, 
uh, Vietnamese. And we, we talk about very similar things within our communities. And that vulnerability is definitely something that, that's, that, that's a real tough one to break, massively tough one to break. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I can't talk from a sort of, um, you know, minority perspective, but mm. I, I mean, of course, I mean, there's a double layer um, with um, the fact that we're all men, you know, with, with men, you know, we, we're sort of taught to fight. We're taught not to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, my my upbringing was a working class upbringing. Uh, again, you know, working class builder, um, dad. And again, you don't talk about um, your your emotions and that sort of thing because that's not the dumb thing. You 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 mm. you have to sort of get on with it. That sort of thing. It's it's um, you know no wonder the suicide rate is so high amongst men and 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 mm. certain um, different groups. Really, I mean, what um, what I was going to ask is your your um, your breakdown that you had. How 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 did that sort of um, what did that actually look like? And then how did you, and you mentioned going to a therapist, but how did you sort of deal with it? Because it sounds to me like you're in quite a good place at the moment and you're, you know, it sounds like you're quite philosophical and you're doing all the good things by, by you know, by being grateful and making some time for yourself. But what was it like when it all happened? Oh, do you know what? I didn't know it was happening at the time. I just yeah. re- remembered. Do you know what happened? <laughs> I'd done this program, Dancing on Ice, and oh, yeah. I'd, um, I went out in the first round um, after skating incredibly. And I'm not just saying that. I thought I was pretty decent. And I went from – it was I've really spoke about this publicly, but it's really interesting now you talk about it because it, it's sort of the catalyst uh, for the, the, the breakdown. Um, I went from being on the leaderboard in, in – in third place because the judges had cast their scores. And then the interesting thing about Dancing on Ice is that they then opened the vote to the audience. And by the time the audience voted for me, I was bottom of the pile. Oh. And then and then I was eliminated from the programme. And I just asked myself, I remember my, my, my parents weren't there, sadly, um, because they'd moved to America. So I invited my uncle, my mom's brother and his family. And um, my brother was there and, and, and some close friends to watch. And I was just devastated. And I just, I, I looked at the process and I thought, there's no one here to say, are you okay? because the machine still goes on. It was round one. They need to make more programs. Um, yeah. I didn't feel like there was much aftercare at that time. And I remember just sitting in my dressing room by myself thinking, what like, what, 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 more do I have to do to like let Britain know that I'm good to go? Like I'm, that what me being here is, is really important. Um, I've done Blue Peter, which is a great show for young people. I'm now trying to further my career by doing something that puts me even more in the limelight so everyone can see what I can do and get a sense of my personality. And I guess the audience didn't like it. Um, I guess it's a, it almost feels like a, a Julius Caesar moment. You know, you're sort of the gladiators are out in the ring and, um, the, 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 <laughs> you know, the, the Julius Caesar asked the audience thumbs up or thumbs down and the audience gave me the thumbs down and, you know, you're, you're just left and to, to do your thing. I remember coming home and I just sat down and I was just crying. I was like, sod this man. Like, do I even want to be here? Do I even want to be in this industry? Uh, what do I, you know, what, what kind of hurdles do I have to keep jumping um, to, to, to be recognized, to be seen, all those kind of things. Um, and then it just escalated um, to really deep depression. Um, I felt really low about so many things. Um, I couldn't get up in the morning out of bed um, and I tried to fight it. And I was just like, come on, man, in a very typical, you know, hadn't been given uh, the language to even express that from, you know, childhood or anything like that. I was just like, come on. I went back into doing mode. You've got to get up. You know, doesn't matter. This is not going to defeat you. I remember getting a text from my uncle saying, don't worry. I saw what happened. Just have some chocolate, um, have some ice cream, and tomorrow you'll be fine. <laughs> like, you know, um, in, in a very typical Nigerian fashion, you know. And I know what he was doing. He was just saying, you know what? We know what circumstances we're in. Um, we know how much we have to fight, but just scrub it off. But I, I couldn't scrub it off because um, I'm a bit deeper than that. Like, I, I think um, I was tired, I was exhausted, and I just felt like that was another beating um, um, 
and I yeah I I didn't I didn't contemplate suicide or anything like that but I I just felt so low like I, I couldn't see you know I'm, I'm usually an optimistic guy I just I couldn't even see the clouds on a really sunny day I remember it was you know I just couldn't see anything and I thought to myself I need to see someone um and I I'll be honest, I've got to pat myself on the back for that because I'm one of these people that I've realized as I've grown older, when I have a problem, I feel like I need to get it fixed. And I don't know whether it's because I've come from a medical family. So my dad um, friend is a pediatrician. When we're in Nigeria, my mom's a nurse. So we're very much sort it out, fix it, <laughs> you know, kind of vibe. And I've always thought that about my mental health. I, I knew I just felt different. I've never felt like this before and I need to get this looked at. So I just started Googling it. And thankfully, you know, I had a little bit of money um, that I'd saved up um, from my time on Blue Peter. And obviously I've got a fee for dancing on ice. And I thought, do you know what? J- just, just, just try and see someone. Cause I, I just don't want to feel like this. I just don't want to feel like this. And I guess the hard part of it is that I was going to see this therapist and I was feeling even worse. Cause he just wasn't um, able to, I wasn't able to articulate myself authentically to him because he just, I guess he came with his biases as well, which is something that really um, shone a light on a part of therapy that many people haven't really addressed is cultural biases. And also therapists do come with their prejudices as well. Um, don't just expect because someone's a therapist, they've necessarily done the work or of, of being quote unquote woke or understanding uh, the, the, the the landscape that we exist in as a, as a country or um, through sexuality, um, you know, and that made me feel worse. And, but then, you know, I had to, I had to, dig deep and, and, and try and find someone else after that. And um, it was a process of, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, like a, a, a year. And I guess fundamentally what changed it all is I just packed up my bags and uh, I went I went to Brazil. <laughs> I went to Brazil. I travelled around Brazil uh, because it's a country I've wanted to go to for many, many years. And um, it was a country, which we'll go into, I hope, um, that really gave me a validation of who I was because um, – after leaving Nigeria, like I realized that Brazil was a country that had more people of my culture in it than anywhere else in the, in the world. And I wanted to go and find my, 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 my core, my indigenous people. And I, and I found it in, in Brazil in a place called Bahia. So yeah, it was, it was a long journey and it's, the, it's a continuous journey, but I, th- I still think you guys probably understand it. it it's every day is a learning experience. Mm, sure. Yeah. Do you know, what? it's, it's amazing because I've got so many questions now. Same I'm gonna here. Say, Same here. <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're like a gift that just keeps on giving, Io. Thank you. Um, but you mentioned after Blue Peter, you felt like you'd lost your identity. Mm. You just mentioned going to Brazil and mm. touch the Nigerian culture. Do you feel like that, you know, that's, that's part of the healing process? That is what you needed to do in order to kind of, you know, feel right in your skin again? I think for two, yeah, you're spot on. I think twofold. Basically, I realized that I travel across the world. So while I was on Blue Peter, I'd seen about 118 different cities around the world in five years, right? I'd literally, I globe trekked and it's one of my dreams. I've always wanted to be like the black Michael Palin or, you know, like I've I've always watched (laughs) middle-aged white men traveling across the world through a particular lens. And I got to do it, um, not my way necessarily, but I still got to do it, but it was still through a lens. So there were, it lacked authenticity. And also culturally, yeah, like there's so much uh, about like, sounds odd, like post-colonial African countries. I grew up there that re- I really didn't get or understand because on one part, there's a big part of me that really got Britain and understood British history, but yet I never saw myself reflected in it in any way, shape or form. And that sort of permeated through the way we we traveled on Blue Peter. You know, Blue Peter felt like a really, um, you know, if, if we go back, I mean, this is a lot of people don't know this, but like the ship Blue Peter um, was was actually a real ship um, back, back in the day. Um, and it was actually a ship that was set out on voyages of discovery. And as we all now know, a voyage of discovery is <laughs> a colonial expedition or, you know, any of anything around that. And actually, here I was as a black man wearing this badge that embodied colonialism fundamentally or and actually many British people didn't really know that. Um, and also this was a, a show that was in every single child's home in the country, um, teaching them about the world through a particular lens and a particular gaze. So, you know, when you take all that baggage off and you leave a show like that, you kind of go, bloody hell, who am I? And I'd been reading about Brazil for many, many years. So I'm, I'm from the Yoruba tribe. 
in, in Nigeria. And uh, the Portuguese exported more slaves than anywhere else in the world. And Brazil was actually the last country to abolish slavery uh, globally. So it's, it's still a, a recent history for that country. And in the north is a place called uh, Bahia, uh, Salvador. And that was the slave port. And I'd been reading for many, many years about how, you know, if you go to Salvador, you know, it's, it's since the age of 15, I was fascinated by this. Like, if you go to Salvador, you 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 find the real black magic. So there's a a religion called Candomblé, which is uh, it's it's a religion that the slaves brought over years and years and years ago, obviously, and they kept it sacred. Um, but the Portuguese wanted to make them Catholics, obviously, to indoctrinate them <laughs> so they could obey the laws uh, of the land. And they fought for so many years uh, to preserve their their religion and. Uh, they actually actually went underground um, because the the slaves ended up adopting Catholicism, um, but the the some slaves really kept this practice going as a way of survival, as a way of keeping hope, as a way of maintaining their roots. And I, it sounds odd in in Nigeria being a post colonial country, like Christianity is the the religion that permeates, and actually uh, the indigenous religions are the ones that are sort of buried and demonized. So I wanted to just touch it again. I wanted to know who the hell I was, and you know, yeah. I got. I was so lucky that I was the ambassador for a charity called the Street Child World Cup. And we worked with young street kids um, from across the world. And we put on a World Cup for them just to make them feel seen and give them a, a sense of travel and a, a sense of feeling part of a, a bigger cause. And it just so happened that that, that year, the, the place was in Brazil. And I said to the guys, I just like, look, guys, um, I'm happy to be the ambassador, but on one condition, um, don't book me a return ticket. I just need to go to Brazil. So I stayed there for two months, like, and just traveled around. And I ended up finding uh, a, a little dose of candomblé in Bahia. Um, it resulted in me sort of speaking broken, broken Portuguese to this guy called Tiago, who's... Um, whose mom happened to be the leader of, of uh, a religion called Caboclo as opposed to um, Candomblé, which is a, a mixture of uh, Brazilian Amazonian religion and uh, Candomblé and also Christianity. But I knew it was the closest I'd get to it. And it was really mad because I was traveling by myself. And um, I remember one morning I've been trying to get hold of this guy. Anyone knows Brazilians, time is not a thing. Um, one week, two weeks to reply to someone it's just nothing, right? Like, it, it just got to get used to the way people operate. Uh, and I remember it was like, uh, not, not long before I was about to leave uh, uh, um, Bahia. Um, and I get this message as I'm, I'm, I'm literally waking up after a night out on the town because um, I was also enjoying myself, right? You know, I had no, had no stresses because um, Brazil has this way of just sucking you in and just getting you into the sort of the Brazilian vibe. It's beautiful. And also the food as well. That's not, that's another conversation. Um, and this guy messages me, emails me because he'd been trying to call me and obviously I had a phone number so he couldn't get hold of me. I remember waking up hungover one morning and says, are you, where are you? Um, we're having a ceremony now. I'm like, what? Oh, how am I even going to get here? I was like, where are you? And he sent me the coordinates and I went downstairs uh, to the internet room and looked at it. And it was in the middle of this favela in the middle of nowhere. I was like, you could either get killed right now or you could possibly be opening up a, a huge box for yourself um, in terms of your identity and understanding who you are. So I just took the risk. I thought, sod it. So I literally had this guy, Tiago, on the phone. I managed to get a hold of him on the phone with a little pace in. And I gave it to the cab driver. And the cab driver was literally speaking to this guy all the way. To, I didn't know where on earth I was going. Up, on, <laughs> up into this favela in, um, in the, just outside uh, Salvador in Bahia. And um, he's there waiting for me in a, in a white cloak um, and... <laughs> waving at me as I'm coming in and I'm like I'm literally just praying I was like please this this I mean this this could end now but you know what bro there was a, an amazing excitement because I'm one of these people I just like to just break through I just want to see stuff I want to taste stuff I want to feel it um and he just waved at me with the loveliest kindest face and he was like oh and he was like this sort of weird conversation of my portuguese was really bad and his english was really bad so it was like a hybrid of bad portuguese and bad english together and he was just like hey come downstairs like and i walked into this room and there were just all black people dressed in like um uh like white robes and i soon came to realize that they, that was their ceremonial clothing because that's what the slaves used to wear back in the day um, as a way of celebrating or, um, or, or uh, going to their ceremonies. And um, the moment I got there, this woman just looked at me and she went, 
you're a child of Yoruba. I was like, whoa, I just had this mad moment. I'm saying it now, I'm getting tingles. I just burst into tears. Cause like, I was like, whoa, she literally just looked into my soul here. She just see, she just seen me. She's just seen me. And she went, you're one of us. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like you're one of us. I'm halfway across the world. <laughs> I didn't even get that credit, like that, that sense of um, understanding from the people of Nigeria. I'm halfway across the world with people that don't speak my language um, uh, as in English, but they spoke Yoruba, my actual native mother tongue. Like they were like speaking to me in Yoruba. We start having this conversation in Yoruba. I'm like, rah, this is mad. And then they offered me a plate of, um, it was yam and boiled plantain and melon, which is what the slaves would have eaten back in the day. And they still live these moments for themselves to remember um, the journey of the slaves and celebrate the journey of the slaves. And it's very basic food, but I ate it. And there was some corn on there as well. And it was just an incredible moment. Um, I was shivering through the whole process because like, just so much just was in me. I couldn't even explain how cathartic that moment was for me. And I remember sort of, I had to leave. They wanted me to stay, but I had to leave because I'd become like really English. I'm like, I think I've overstayed my welcome. I've got, I've got to go. Thank you very much. Blah, blah, blah. Because I was still a bit like, I don't know what this this means to me. I didn't quite find Kandombli, but I found uh, another religion that just, all the effigies look like me. Um, all the people in this place look like me. And there was something really familiar about the language they were singing in and speaking, um, which was basically my mother tongue. And I just, I was just like, rah, this is you, bro. Whoa, whoa, this is really special. And I remember just almost being in tears for the whole day, just being like, what's just happened? Wow. And I, I think like two days I came back to England and like, it just, it was catalytic to so many other changes in my life. And it was, it was just, just superb and yeah, really, really special. Wow. That sounds amazing. It's funny because it, you reminded me of um, this book that I keep banging on about called Lost Connections by Johan Harry. Um, and one of the things he talks about is, um, you know, he talks about the different reasons why we're depressed and anxious. And one of the things is disconnection from, from other people, you know, and I think if you can find, a, a sort of connection, you know, like, you know, he talks about, tri- you know, your tribe, your pack, your, you know, your community and stuff. Um, that has a really powerful effect on on your mental health, no matter where you are, you know. I mean, I talked about, I, I mean, I've lived in London for 30 years now. I'm not from London, but because I moved here at the same time as loads of other people, you know, um, I've got my own little, I've got friends who live around the corner. I feel like it's my sort of village and my, you know, I, I can fall back on the, them even though I live on my own. I know mm-hmm. I've got this sort of safe, you know, but so if you can find that sort of identity and you can find, you know, people that understand you, it's so powerful for your mental health, I think. It's you know? huge, but you know what's hard? And I find this with a lot of, because I, I, I class myself as a bit of a nomad, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up, in Nigeria, we lived in France for a little bit. My dad was studying in Nancy for a bit in in, in like uh, in France. Um, moved back to Nigeria, and then we moved to England. And now my parents live in America. Like I've always moved about as a kid, and also I, I, I can't even call it a duality anymore. It's just a a multitude of culture and whatever. So I've always had this kind of like restless energy, and it's something I talk to my uh, my life coach about in terms of like. I always find, I feel like I find it really hard to break into friendship groups because like the way I see the world is so different because I've, I've done so much and I've seen so much, um, all my life. So trying to strike a balance with those people, uh, you sort of have to suspend some of who you are or uh, suppress, sorry, some of who you are. Um, so sometimes you don't feel fully authentic. Like I don't know anyone like myself who just get up and just like go to Brazil (laughs) because they thought, Mm. why not? You know, like, and that becomes quite hard and tricky to find that tribe because it's so different to what a lot of people do. But then I think as I've got older, I've realized perhaps that's my superpower. Perhaps I might not find that tribe. So how do I uh, build that within myself? And it's, and I think you're right. It, it, it's about the moment I connected back to, I guess it sounds really cheesy, my roots and yeah. gave myself a personal grounding. Um, it just made a lot more things easier. Yeah. Um, we yeah we we're, we're 50 minutes in so we we we're, we're going to have to um don't say that i'm having i'm loving this conversation no 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 i'm loving it but i'm just you know i mean it's a monday you know we, i don't know i mean you know we don't i mean we can we can go on for a bit longer i'm just i'm just saying we're 15 minutes in it feels yeah. like we're 5 minutes in it feels like we you know 
uh, we're just scratching the surface. Maybe we'll do a part two. Um, you should do a part two. Let's do a part two. Why not? Yeah, yeah why not? Why not? Definitely. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, uh, just to bring it right up to date because you know we spoke about this when we were off air. Mm. Um, how much of a pressure must it be to be a presenter on TV, especially? when it's going out live, you know, what a, you know, what a weight on your shoulders that is um, Mm. and how people can't really appreciate that and how, you know, under the spotlight you are from the public, from social media, et cetera, like that, you know, it's very, very well, uh, very tragic and well-documented case of Caroline, Caroline Flack sort of comes to mind. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, the sort of, um, you know, uh, presenters and presenting and, and TV personalities and, and their mental health. And is it something, I mean, like I say, you might not get a lot of sympathy from the public, but is it something that should be thought about more and dealt with a bit more? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's hard because, you know, I think especially with social media, people feel they have a responsibility to tell you how to do your job. Um, and I, I don't know how well you can translate to people that the trials and tribulations of, of, of working in the media industry, which is fundamentally uncertain, right? Like most people I know, regardless of whether or not they're famous, are still worried whether this will be their last gig. It's it's really tough because uh, you know we we we're in a fast paced, ever moving industry that's always looking for whoever's new and relevant and young and all that kind of stuff. So there's a massive pressure on people's shoulders, even the really established ones. Trust me, that a lot of people worry whether or not this will be their last gig, and then you've got the added pressure of people who also don't see you as human beings because they can hide behind uh you know a, a social media image and just say whatever they want it's really dark and i've hit some dark places with it and you know you've said it there've been some serious casualties within it within our industry it's it's really 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 tough um i don't know what the right way of dealing with it is or the wrong way of dealing with it is but for me that foundation we've been talking about through this is, is really important like as individuals getting to know yourself and getting to know your, give your, you know, understand your self-worth beyond television. I think that's what that Brazil trip really helped me with. Um, and the, all the other projects I've created have really helped me with is actually looking at my self-worth worth beyond my job. Um, and I think a lot of people seek self-worth from work. Um, and for me, it's about seeking self-worth from beyond it and trying to enrich myself in spaces beyond what I do for a living, which makes it easier for me to see a lot of these situations. It still hurts. I'm not going to lie. Like I just did the um, the Winter Olympics and someone was having a go at me for talking too much and saying, you know, like, in my opinion, mate, I think you should uh, you should let the pictures do the talking. I was like, who are you? Sorry. What? Where, where do you think you're from? Like, have, 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 you, have you done TV before? And you look at their social media and they're faceless and you know you look at you, you look at the stream of abuse they've sent other people and i'm thinking what's going on with your mental health bro like what's your problem you know and and, and it, you just see the issue with social media is you just see a regurgitation of a lot of people's mental health on yeah. screen um lonely people people that want to be seen people that want to connect and it's just a lot of that stuff people that aren't happy, happy with their lives so for me it's just I'm trying to manage it and it's really hard, but it's just trying to see the value away from TV, away from the public space and actually really hone in on um, the value of that private space, your connections with your family, your connection with your partner and all those kind of things. And hopefully I'm, I'm trying to make that much more fruitful than just that acknowledgement um, from, from the public space. Because look, I'm, I'm still working hard. I'm still striving um to be the best tv broadcaster i can possibly be i'm still looking for opportunities to expand myself and stretch myself and challenge myself and you know it's it's still hard because for every wonderful bit of feedback you do get sometimes just that one that comes through mm. just it's that point of self-doubt that you have within yourself and yeah. you know if, if you let that fester it becomes really dangerous yeah you know what i i don't know how you do it because I've actually come off social media recently and I mean, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not on TV. I don't get loads of abuse, but I do follow a lot of sports things like Formula One pages and stuff like that. You know, you'll see someone will post something, uh, you know, particularly with like Lewis Hamilton. I don't know if you've like seen this, but everyone, and it's just, there's polar opposites, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen fans. Mm. And hate, 
and the aggression and the horrible things that are said. And I find myself feeling sick, like, oh my God. Mm. And I, I, you know, and I can feel that having a complete change on my mental health. Mm. And I'm not Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, you know. So uh, I can't imagine, you know, what you must go through and like, you know, to have somebody just criticize you that you don't even know. Yeah. Because- I mean, but but also, you know, for someone like Lewis, and it happens in, in, in all industries, right? Especially TV, media industry. You saw what happened last season. He should have taken the world championship and yeah. you have an institution that publicly doesn't give it to you and and, and you, it's a sabotage they sabotage mm-hmm. they sabotage your greatness considering what you stand for like considering what you've done for the sport they still sabotage it and it's not just mm-hmm. the public if you can't even have the institution behind you yeah. to, to to help you navigate this because they've already thrown you out to slaughter they can't even help you navigate this. Can you imagine what's going on through that guy's head? And and, and to have the, the the strength to come back and even try and race again after that, yeah. it, you, you have to applaud it. But also be the greatest race driver of our generation, if not of all time. It, it, it's quite phenomenal. And yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. And, you know, look, I still think there's a lot that can be done within all industries to help individuals, especially individuals who end up being poster people for these spaces in terms of their mental health and safeguarding it. Um, Because, you know, when you become public property, you're almost like a a, a lamb to slaughter, really. And it's such a dangerous space. I got to say, though, there is um, there are other celebrities and I take heed from uh, certain people like... um, I don't know if you've ever followed the, the story of Keanu Reeves. Uh, Keanu Reeves, regardless of how wealthy he is, just kind of just strolls through the world. It's seemingly like a normal guy. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, there are pictures of him just sitting in the park and they're like, people don't even yeah. know they're sitting Keanu Reeves. <laughs> And I still think there's, you know, and, and you hear about you know, him forfeiting fees so other people could come into the frame or him really rewarding like a lot of the stunt people um, yeah. in in, uh, in the Matrix and the, a lot of the guys that did the graphics because he thought their roles were way better, more important than his. And I think, you know, regardless of a lot of tragedy that he's had, and perhaps that's really helped him in 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 navigating this space i still think that, that there's an element of we are still people and we still have to operate as people and allow ourselves to be people and you know sometimes the the the, the what's the word the evil eye of celebrity can also be as dangerous for individuals to absorb um because it takes you away from reality and i think you're only a celebrity in your head if you really really want to exist in that space um and actually it's up to the individuals and their management and people that look after them to help them navigate those spaces so there's an element of normality there there's an element of perspective there you know we have to understand that we need to surround ourselves with not just yes people but people who are willing to give us the bad feedback and tell us maybe we need Mm. to step away from our public spaces a little bit more and because also you know something i've learned having lived in london and not being from here and having tasted that that fame is that the vultures are around pecking away you know they want to be around because they that then comes the free party invites there comes the you know the 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 notoriety to be surrounded with you um and and to be associated with you and that's a hard one to navigate if you haven't got a strong head or a strong foundation around you yeah and and it's so so true you know i mean uh, me as a sort of musician and stuff you know I'll, I'll sometimes put things up on online and that and that and i'll get loads of great comments but then you'll get one sort of dodgy comment and that is the only one you listen to you ignore everything else all the amazing stuff and you hone into that one little thing and and i suppose you've got to just realize that they're obviously you know for us for someone to you know put something hateful up online when they don't know you personally and there's no real reason to do it. It's you've got to in a way be sort of sympathetic to them, you know, and just think you're obviously going through crap yourself, you know, to, 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 to do that, you know, um, you're, you're an amazing person. Um, I O. So how could anyone be nasty to you? I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, no one knows me personally and they don't feel like they need to know me personally. That's yeah. the thing. They don't. That's the that's the thing about social media. You know, I even yeah. catch my brother. We have these weird conversations about. I mean, lockdown was a really interesting one for this because obviously everyone was indoors, right? So, yeah. uh, and everyone's restless. <laughs> and he starts telling me about having the. And it doesn't even. It works person to person, not just celebrity to person. He starts telling me about you know how he's having these conversations with people on Facebook, and he goes into this wormhole trying to correct people about stuff. I was like, but you don't really know them, bro. Like, yeah. you know, Waste just focus on you. Focus on you. 
are you happy in you? Like, are you doing the best you can for your family? Are you doing the best you can for yourself? Are you trying to achieve the best things you possibly can for you? Um, Are you happy with your life? Because fundamentally, if you're happy with your life, you're not preoccupied with someone else's, this way I see it. If you're happy and, and, and at peace with where you're going or your growth or working on your growth, you're not preoccupied with other people's stuff. And that's where I think sometimes celebrity gives people an escape plan for some of the issues and woes they're dealing with personally is that you know it's escapism i watch you i look at you and you should give me the escape i need and if 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 you bring that into question i'm going to let you know about it and i think that's where it's dangerous and we all need to take into account our perspectives as human beings and try and work on ourselves and i guess this is why what you guys are doing is so important you know it's that let's shine the light on having to work on ourselves let's normalize that that's the biggest thing and uh, you know i still have it with friends who i think are still really forward thinking and open and kind and all those kind of things having them having the conversation about are you okay having the conversation of have you worked on yourself this week have you taken time for yourself this week it's still a tricky one because you see how much people is just trying to deflect it and something else is the issue something else is the problem but we don't actually often look at ourselves and think maybe I might have a problem. Um, and I think that's that's part of this bile of social media abuse and this bile of trying to put stuff on celebrities is that enough people still aren't going within and going, am I okay? Because if I'm okay, why have I spent two hours trolling this person? Like, why yeah. have I spent two hours trolling various <laughs> other people that I don't know and telling them how bad they are? And, yeah. you know, sense, you know? I've, I've two hours, have a nice walk, nice cup of tea, you know? <laughs> have a cup of tea have a coffee maybe not the coffee because that sends me right but <laughs> oh so so well, what, what we, well, we do need to wrap this up because yeah. we have done the hour mark and i'm gutted yeah, yeah. i'm loving this but just quickly what are your self-care practices what do you do if you feel like you know you can feel the mood shifting things mm. are getting on what is your sort of self-care routine what's your go-to Okay, so this this last two weeks in particular have been mad because um, I've been having, re- you know, I've just come off the Commonwealth Games and I'm straight into the Premier League and I just feel like I'm just rushing and I haven't had any perspective on what I want to do and I've got big meetings coming up and I, I sometimes resort back to self-sabotage mode when I'm at, the, at a good place. And I just, for me, it's just allowing myself, to, one, is to realise that not every day is going to be fantastic, not every day is going to be up there. Um and actually sitting in that and being okay with it, it's something I've got to more now. Uh, but also, it sounds odd, just taking time to do things that make me smile. It's very simple. I always have this thing when I've got a bit of free time to myself. Um, every morning, I just get on my bike and I cycle to this cafe down the road. And I have a, a vegan panorama with a cup of coffee. And I just sit in the park and just watch and look and just realize that I'm hearing nature. I'm hearing like a space um, and I should be grounded right now and look at the trees, look at the sky, look at the people walking and just to reconnect um, with normality is really key for me. And even cycling to this place just gives me something to do in that moment. You know, it gives me a mission for that morning, especially when I might not have much going on during the day and it gives me an objective. And I set myself little objectives that help me escape my mind. And, you know, that that's the easiest one for me. And also it gives me a little bit of exercise and movement as well. Um, it doesn't always work, but it, it definitely has become my go-to. And just to find what makes me have a, what find what feels like a sanctuary to me because um, I've also got ADHD. So I can't sit still too long. I need to be doing something. And actually when I'm out in a park like that and I'm having like something that tastes really amazing, my sensory, like, I just get like sensory overload and I'm just like, Oh, I'm present again. I'm good. Do you know what? I'm lucky. Um, I'm lucky that I'm actually able to, to have a bike, which I bought and not think about buying a, a, a croissant or a panoraisin and, and a nice coffee and I actually have a chat with you know the the cafe stuff and I just recalibrate it just re- helps me recalibrate because they're just talking to me about their day today and I'm like this is great and also I've I've really tried to invest in uh working in in, in my local community sounds really simple it's like a volunteering thing um and i work in the same park and they have a a side charity that works with a lot of kids in the estate and i just connect with those young people and hear about their dreams hear about their woes and just try to just hopefully whatever experience i've managed to garner see if i can help 
with some sort of little mentorship, if I can. And it's not often, but it just it just brings me back on check because they're just starting their journey and I'm deep within my journey. It just gives me a, a different perspective on, on, on what life's really about. Love oh. it. Love it, mate. Uh, uh, Andy, we need yes. to approach you because there's just so much we haven't even touched on. You know, you've even just yeah. mentioned... PhD. That's a whole new sort of conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, but also, we, I mean, we I do, mean look, we do a part two, Io. Can we I do a love, part? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Like, yeah, that, I mean, that's another thing, you know, in terms of self discovery and stuff like that. You know, understanding mm. that we understand our mental health in so many different ways for sure. Yeah, because the ADHD thing is really close to my heart. My one of my best friends um, uh, was diagnosed it, and he, uh, oh god, he's gone through the mill with all sorts of stuff. So maybe we could uh, do a podcast talking about that. We like we do every now and again. We like to focus on specific mental health issues. You know, we did one on on um, uh, dietary um, problems. You know, like anorexia and stuff. We, we've done one on. Um, OCD and and so ADHD might be a really good one to do actually. Look, it'd be um, lovely to chat to you guys again. Just tell me to stop talking, please, because I can go on all day. Kind of what I do for a living. <laughs> we, the other thing I thought, because um, uh, I'm going to name drop here, but I was because uh, I'm a cameraman and I I, I filmed um, Joanna Lumley last week and oh, nice. um, she's lovely, legendary, a- absolutely lovely, really lovely lady and. Um, she was going off the next day to Indonesia to do one of her um, travel programs. And basically she's the the poster girl for sort of older people traveling. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you'd like to be this, the sort of black Michael Palin. Um, now I think we should try and have a campaign. We should try and, you know, help to make that happen because I'd love to see that. I'd love to see the sort of, you know, a perspective from black China lovely. Like, all right, mate. <laughs> Genius. Genius. I tell you what, I, I, I've actually got a meeting with uh with someone quite important today, like head of faction of for a channel today, and uh, I might pitch myself as that. Let's <laughs> get <laughs> in perspective. Think Joanna Lumley, but think black. What do you think? <laughs> uh, but maybe because you're from Bur- Birmingham, the, 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 Joanna, yeah. Joanna Brumley. Oh, 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 you're wasted as a cameraman. Come on. Get those formats ready. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Oh, anyway. Oh, right. honestly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll bring this to a close now. Um, uh, we, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, Tommy, do you want to say anything? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, you know what? I'm I'm overwhelmed. I felt, you know what? Before this show, I told you I felt quite anxious in the build-up because we've not done one for a long time. You've just been an amazing guest, and like I said, it's it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I feel absolutely lifted after this conversation. It's been so good, so good. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's an absolute pleasure, and hopefully, we'll do another one soon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone, that has been Man Up. Um, Stay tuned. There will be, we promise, there will be more of these coming up very soon. Um, So uh, we'll check you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.